You're listening to Enclave Community Church. For more information about Enclave, please visit us online at enclavecc.com. The scripture reading this morning is Titus 3, verses 1 through 8. Be ready for every good work. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your words. Thank you for giving us this word that we can read and absorb and live and understand these really aren't difficult things, but for whatever reason, we as humans find it difficult, difficult to be kind to one another, to not speak evil, to, we find it difficult to just not let our sin take over our lives. And thankfully, you gave us your son to die on the cross and um, for our sins. And um, I just pray that all of us think about this verse and these words this week and think about the gift you have given us um, of eternal life through your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Good morning, everyone. Hope you guys are doing well. Um, so I kind of have a little long sermon. It's probably going to take about I don't know, eight hours or so. You guys don't have any plans today, right? Full disclosure, I'm actually not even watching the Super Bowl, so that, that's on me. That's on me, okay. <laughs> but that's not like a, a stance or anything. That's just more, I just don't follow football at all, and I don't have a TV or live TV, so yeah. All right, so this morning, what we're going to be talking about is what it takes to be a good citizen. And actually, I just want to start off by asking you guys a question. If someone was to ask you, what makes a good citizen, what would you say? Feel free to. Obeying the law, yeah. Love, okay. Being fair, awesome. All great qualities. And I could tell you my actual job, because I just kind of preach every so often. My actual job is I'm a high school math teacher. And even though I teach math, 
Uh, I kind of put it as the mindset that my real goal is to produce productive citizens. Um, it's kind of more for a selfish reason because I want them to support me through social security down the road. <laughs> no, but, um, you know, when I was uh, looking at, like, verses, and, and whenever uh, Andrew texts me um, about a day to preach, my first reaction is usually to say no. And then my second reaction is to uh, start looking through the Bible and seeing what calls out to me. And uh, I was just stumbling, I was reading through Titus and uh, going through Titus 3, and, and uh, yeah, I could tell God was speaking to me about this verse this morning. And so uh, this morning, I kind of want to talk about who is Titus. I want to talk about citizenship and what it means to be good earthly citizens, and lastly, what it takes to be a good heavenly citizen. And so, first of all, who is Titus? Uh, Titus is one of the pastoral epistles of the New Testament. They're called pastoral because they're written, uh, when I say they're written, Paul wrote them to young pastors. Two of them were written to um, his young associate, Pastor Timothy. And the third, the one we're looking at this morning, was written to Pastor Titus. Now, Titus was a man that Paul had commissioned to be the pastor of the church on the island of Crete. Titus was a Gentile believer with whom Paul felt enough confidence to share many significant aspects of his own ministry. Titus was sent by the church to accompany Paul, for example, when he went before the church leaders in Jerusalem to settle a crucial doctoral banner on whether circumcision was necessary for salvation. Uh, in Acts, and I know um, Pastor Andrew is going through Acts, so we'll get to see this uh, later, probably in about two years, <laughs> at the pace Andrew goes. Acts 15, uh, starting with verse 1, uh, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Well, this brought Paul and Barnabas into a sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. Now, although Titus wasn't mentioned specifically, he was one of those other believers. And we know this because of a, a, a verse Paul wrote in Galatians, in chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation, and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. Well, uh, uh, Titus was also used by God to encourage Paul during one of his missionary journeys. In one of his letters to the church of Corinth, namely in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, for when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest, but we are harassed at every turn. Conflicts from the outside peers within, but God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Titus was also entrusted uh, by Paul to manage a collection gathered by the churches of Macedonia and to aid the suffering Christians in Jerusalem. 
uh, down in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, a couple of different verses, chapter, or verse 6. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to also bring to completion this act of grace on your part. And down in verse 16, thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same concern that I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. Titus was a very dear man to Paul, a valued co-laborer in the cause of Christ. Paul even called him a true son in our common faith in Titus 1 verse 4. It was because of this that many scholars believe that Paul was the one that actually led Titus to Christ. Titus was a model of faithful Christian service, a man Paul greatly loved and had found trustworthy in ministry. Perhaps that's why Paul gave Titus this very tough job, that of being the pastor of a group of believers in Crete. Paul told Titus that one of them, a prophet of their own, said, O Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons, in Titus 1, verse 12. And in saying this, Paul was actually quoting from the ancient Cretan poem uh, Epimendes. And then Paul adds, this testimony is true. Therefore, therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. Paul was very concerned for the church on the island of Crete. This being plagued by false teachers who were subverting entire households with false doctrine. Um, down in verse 10 of Titus 1. For there are many rebellious people, full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. These false teachers were professing that they knew God, but were denying him through their actions. And Paul was deeply concerned about the influence this would bring on the church of Crete. The Cretan church had become distracted from its witness and getting wrapped up in a lot of disputes and fights over divisive and non-essential matters. And when I was uh, thinking about this, that kind of reminds me sometimes of the American church, that sometimes we as American church get wrapped up in divisive and non-essential matters. Well, Paul had personally sent Titus to this island of Crete to do two things. First of all, to appoint godly leaders that would lead the church in the right direction and protect the sound doctrine um, this is mentioned in Titus 1, verses 5 through 9. In fact, um, this on the qualifications of leaders is kind of like the go-to verse when we consider church eldership. And secondly, it was to teach the people how to live the kind of life that is proper for sound doctrine. Now, this brings us to my second point of how does this deal with citizenship? First of all, I want to mention some to, to all of us, all of us who are um, in a relationship with God, that we hold a dual citizenship, right? First of all, we are citizens of an earthly nation. Uh, the vast majority of us here are probably American citizens. And as American citizens, there's duties that we must fulfill, right? There's things like voting, things like jury duty, right? Awesome jury duty, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> But that citizenship is just a temporary one, lasting for as, only as long as we're here in these temporal bodies. But there's a citizenship that's vastly more important, that of our eternal citizenship. As the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippian believers in Philippians 3, 
for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able to even subdue all things to himself. Note that it says, our citizenship is in heaven, not will be in heaven. Someday. No, right now. We are not any more citizens of heavens at this present moment than we will ever be. We have to understand that we are truly citizens of heaven. Just like we talk about in this church, that when we become saved, when we give our lives over to God, we are enjoying that union with Christ, with God, with the Holy Spirit right now. It's not some future awesomeness. We are in union with God. And how amazing is that? And so I want us to know that we are truly citizens of heaven at this moment in time. And so as Christians living in America, we must never forget that our heavenly citizenship is a much greater thing than our earthly citizenship. Now, don't get me wrong. I am eternally grateful for all the men and women who have fought and died for our country and are proud to be an American citizen. But even more so, I am so grateful to be a heavenly citizen because it was bought by the blood of the Son of God. I want you to think about then, how do you try to represent yourself in context to your heavenly citizenship? You know, in Western cultures, it's not as big a, big a thing as in Eastern cultures that like how you act reflects your family. Um, the biggest thing for, for, I guess, here in the Western culture is like we always, I know my family try to teach uh, table manners, right? Um, kids just burping at the table. It's like, come on, Jack, put on pants. Um, you know, things, things like that. And it, it's not even so much like that dinner there in our own household, but we want to make sure like when we go out to eat or if we're in a family function that um, we're, they're representing our family well, right? In the same way, though, we need to be representing our heavenly citizenship well. As Peter wrote, and if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by the tradition of, from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 17 through 19. In fact, I'll even go as far to say that if we're striving to be a good uh, American citizen, we cannot truly do that until we put that aside to our heavenly citizenship. I know uh, for me personally, I cannot be as good a husband to my wife until I put that secondary to my relationship with God. I cannot be as good of a father to my kids unless I put that relationship secondary to my relationship with God. And I can tell you from experience that when I do, 
I'm the best husband and father I can be. And anytime I fail, it's because I get in my own way. So we need to put our citizenship of heaven primary. You know, Peter wrote, Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king is supreme or to governors, as those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Fear God, honor the king. That's the order of things for us who are believers in Christ. We bear a positive witness to the world when we use our liberty as bondservants of God. We're to submit to our government for the Lord's sake. Now, Paul was deeply concerned for his brothers and sisters in Crete, and he wanted to see them represent their heavenly citizenship well before others. And so he urged Titus to speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine in Titus 2.1, that the word of God may not be blasphemed in verse 5, but that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things in verse 10. You know, I believe Paul would urge the same thing for us as Christians who are Americans that he urged for those Christians in this morning's passage. I believe the Holy Spirit is calling us through this scripture to live as good citizens in this temporal kingdom by being above all else good citizens of our eternal home. And so he told Pastor Titus to remind his brothers and sisters to conduct themselves according to seven characteristics of good earthly citizenship. This is where we're starting here in Titus 3. Don't worry, my intro is half the sermon, okay? It's, I was joking about the seven-hour sermon. But in the start of Titus 3, it says, Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, to be gentle, and showing humility to all men. You know, first he was to remind them to be subject to those who are in positions of governing authority. That's like people like the president or the governor or the mayor, right? People that are elected to be rulers in this country. We're also to be a subject to authorities, uh, people put into those positions of power like police officers, silver, civil servants, for, for us uh, students, teachers, right, as well. We're to be subject to both higher and lower authorities. Good citizenship in this temporal nation means to be subject to the authority of those who are in leadership positions over us. Now, we need to do this while keeping in mind that should any authority command us to do something against the clear commands of God, we are to obey God rather than men, as it mentions in Acts chapter 5. But apart from this exception, and and believe me, guys, this this exception is very few and far between. I feel like a lot of people try to play that card too much. Oh, I'm going to drive 70 in here because, you know, it goes against my belief in God. It's, no. But we need, apart from this exception, we are to see ourselves as obligated by God through the obeying of our government leaders. 
you know, all legitimate human authority is derivative in nature, meaning it comes from the top down, from God to those who we have appointed over us. And that's why being a good citizen in an earthly kingdom begins with being faithful servants of heaven. You know, secondly, he tells the Cretan Christians to obey. Although this is in the context of governmental uh, leaders, it also applies as a general principle uh, where human authority is required. Now, when we say uh, to be subject and obey, there is a difference there. Uh, to be subject, it's like being understanding being under someone in rank. Like if you're in the military, right, understanding who your sergeant, your lieutenant, and all the positions are when it comes to authority. It's another thing to have an obedient spirit, which is an inward attitude. It speaks of uh, the will, the obedience that comes from an inward persuasion to want to serve. You know, our culture says to question authority. In fact, uh, I was mentioning here at the start that my job is a math uh, teacher. Uh, my job before being a math teacher was I was actually a punk rock drummer. And not like just like the normal random band, like I actually toured around the country for a few years. And I can tell you in punk rock culture, I mean, the, the general overriding theme is just questioning authority to rebel against authority, right? That, and you know, being in those teenage years, hey, I was all for that, right? It's, that's not just a punk rock culture thing. That's, that's mainstream, right? We all want to question authority. Right now, when I was talking about submitting to government authorities, I bet you all had someone in mind. You're like, eh. Right? <laughs> but, you know, we are to submit to authority. And this is counterculture. This is, being Christian is the true punk rock. It's counterculture. It's not normal. But we are doing this because we are not serving, we're not serving those in authority. We are serving God, the ultimate authority. You know, third, Paul urged the Cretans to be ready for every good work. And being ready speaks of the idea of being prepared and predisposed to doing good towards others. It speaks of an attitude of community servants and volunteerism. It's, some, it's the attitude that does more than just uh, complain about things are bad, but actually goes out and helps and makes a difference. It's the kind of attitude that calls on us as Christians to step out from a separatistic or fortress mentality and moves to give ourselves to the betterment of the community. You know, I think about in this community-oriented attitude, um, like I love, love Turlock, right? A bunch of different churches getting together and helping out different community needs. And if you're out there in the community, how much more valuable is your testimony unto others when they see you doing good work for others? You know, fourth, Paul said that the Cretans were to be reminded to speak evil of no one. The word Paul used to describe uh, what they're to avoid is to blaspheme. This involves the idea of not speaking evil of someone, not being slanderous, or not ridiculing them. This is certainly true of those in authority, because those who are in authority are placed over us by God. The Bible tells us, you shall not revile God, nor curse a ruler of your people. But I believe it also forbids us from speaking evil to any of our fellow citizens, even those of us who are doing wrong. Uh, in Psalm 
chapter 34, starting verse 13. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Uh, fifth, Paul urges the Cretan believers, as it says in many translations, to be peaceable. Uh, in fact, the actual word that Paul uses was to be a fighter with a negative prefix. So, i.e., not being a fighter. And there are uh, some professing Christians who just love to get in a good scrap when it comes to our culture war, right? But to display this sort of attitude is a very bad representation of our heavenly citizenship. Paul told Timothy, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. In 2 Timothy chapter 2. You know, obviously, as faithful citizens of heaven, we must fight the good fight. It's our duty to do so. But we don't aim our weapons at people. We don't fight with human weapons against human forces. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in this heavenly places. Ours is a spiritual warfare. To fight on a fleshly level could be a real temptation and an easy trap for us to fall into. But when we're doing the work of God, when we are talking with people who are in opposition, never put them down. It's okay for people to have different opinions, but we can still present the gospel. We can present love, the truth. We can say, hey, I, I disagree. Let me show you how, how God has done this in my life. And we can do this in a good way without attacking others. That's uh, one of the reasons why I just sometimes get mad at social media. Even if people have a good argument, a logical argument, the way they present those on social media, is, it's like, I know uh, Andrew mentioned it before, it's like lobbing a grenade at people. You're not talking with them. You're trying to be right. That's not love. All right, uh, six, Paul urges the Cretans to be gentle. The word uh, Paul uses, though, it's not like to be passive or weak or easily being taken advantage of. Rather, it's a word that refers to doing which that is appropriate or fitting. It means that we're to be fair and reasonable in our manner. Paul uses this when he told the Philippians, let your gentleness be known to all men. In Philippians 4, verse 5. The citizen of heaven should be the one who works the very hardest as much as it is possible for what is fair and what is just for everyone. The citizen of heaven should be willing to give up his or her own rights for doing what's right for everyone. Seventh, the Cretan believers were to be showing all humility to all men. The idea here is that with respect to others, we are to demonstrate a forbearing spirit. Meek. Again, not in the sense of being weak, but of power brought under control. When the Christian has the power to lash back, they don't. When a believer has the opportunity to put an opponent in their place, they don't. Too many times when we get into a spiritual argument, it's not listening to the other person. It's laying traps. 
right? You're just hoping that person falls into the trap to say, aha. How are you winning that person over? You're laying traps. You're trying to hurt them. Let's show humility and respect for the personhood of others, for all. So Paul identifies these seven aspects of heavenly citizens and then contrasts them by seven characteristics of non-believers. In verse three, he says, for we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. These seven characteristics certainly describe the deplorable and wicked character of the sinful culture that's all around us. It helps us to see why we are here, why we're to be the salt of the earth and the light into the world. It illustrates the sort of behavior we are to avoid as we live on this earth. But more than that, it shows us what we were once like when we were apart from Christ. Before we became citizens of heaven, we were ordinarily characterized by foolishness and disobedience, deception, lustfulness, malice, envy, and hate. We behaved that way because we were apart from the true vine. We were apart from the true love, and we were not citizens of heaven. And this helps us to appreciate why we are to be showing humility to all men. Because we know apart from Christ, that is us. And so this brings us to my last point, is how do we be these good heavenly citizens that I just mentioned? Well, Paul reminds us that we have been saved by such a lifestyle, by God's grace through Jesus Christ. He says, but when the kindness and love of our of God our Savior towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Christ Jesus our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I mean, look at what this passage tells us of God's manner towards us, even when we were in our sins. You know, first it says he was kind towards us, then he allowed his love to appear. He says he was merciful towards us and that he had shown grace to us. No, that was God's manner to us even when we were in our sins. He showed us kindness and love and mercy and grace. His goodness to us in the heavenly realms certainly obligates us to be good to those around us in the earthly ones. Well, let's also see what this passage tells us for what God did in order to save us from our hopeless condition. It says he saved us not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy. If it was by works of righteousness, none of us would be saved because guess what? We can't do works of righteousness without him. He tells us about this later on in chapter 3 in verses 13 and 14 and shows us this mercy was shown to us through the sacrifice of his son on the cross. Secondly, he says he saved us through the washing of regeneration. Regeneration means new birth or being born again, right? Very common in church that we hear, right? And regeneration truly does wash us. It's as if God causes the old us to be put to death and a brand new us to be born, washing away our past and giving us a brand new start. 
And Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You know, regeneration is something that God only does for us once. But regeneration doesn't mean we immediately live holy lives. Right, everyone? <laughs> I know, I, I, yeah. I can tell you that from experience. And so, third, Paul says that God caused us to be saved by the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he had poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And it's the indwelling Holy Spirit that enables us to live the life on this earth that pleases him. So we have been renewed and we are being renewed. You see, you and I do not have the power to be good heavenly citizens that I mentioned in verse one and two. Only Jesus can live a life like that. But God causes the life of Jesus to be lived out progressively and increasingly through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. I have been crucified with Christ, Paul said. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians chapter 2. And so fourth, Paul tells us now we are to live as those who have been justified. That means declared righteous by his grace. God makes us righteous as a free gift through our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. There is therefore no longer any condemnation for us. We stand justified in his sight. We are truly citizens of heaven. And now look at the purpose of it all. That having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We are to live on this planet as citizens of an earthly kingdom, but we are to do so as those who are heirs, even right now, of the hope of eternal life. We walk around on this earth as those who are destined for heaven. We live as those who are living eternal life right now. And we will keep on living it in heaven forever. That is our real home. But it's ours by God's free gift. And I do implore if anyone out there does not know of this gift, please talk to me. Talk to one of the elders. I would love to talk with you about that. This amazing gift, the citizenship of heaven. Because I know God has radically transformed me by his kindness and love and mercy and grace. And so Paul was eager to encourage Titus to proclaim this to the believers in Crete. He told them, this is a faithful saying. And these things I want to affirm continually, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. So this morning we get to celebrate something as citizens of heaven. I know sometimes citizenship of this earthly place like don't really feel like blessings, right? You get that jury duty mail and you're like, oh. It's like I would like one time in my life to get a jury duty summons and there's like nothing going on in my life at that moment in time. It's like, oh yeah, I can do this and not have to worry about all the other stuff. But communion, 
is not something that should ever be an obligation. It is truly a blessing. This is something that we get to celebrate as citizens of heaven. And so as we're getting these cups out and taking the bread, I want you to think about this, the price of heavenly citizenship that Jesus had to be broken and beaten and died on the cross. Not for anything he did, but for what we did. So let's take this bread in remembrance of what God did for us on that cross. We have the cup. It wasn't enough that Jesus had to die on the cross, but it's that he defeated sin, that he rose again. And it's by his blood we have been regenerated. We have a new birth. His blood has washed away our sins, and we are made clean before him. And even though sometimes we may not feel like we're clean, right, we still have those sins that get in the way that, indwelling spirit is making us clean. Don't let Satan get in that path. This blood has made us citizens of heaven at this very moment in time. And so let's take this knowing where our citizenship truly lies. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. God, I'm just so thankful. I am so thankful to be a citizen of heaven. Lord, I know that you showed me kindness and love and mercy and grace when I deserve none of those things. And God, I'm just thankful for the life that you progressively live out through me. And though I may stumble, God, that I can look to you and be filled with, with all of those heavenly attributes, Lord. And I just pray that you just continue to use us to be faithful citizens of heaven here on this earth, to demonstrate those characteristics that Paul was encouraging Titus over in, in Titus 3. Lord, we just uh, thank you, and we love you so much. In your name we pray, amen.